All right, everybody, welcome to episode two of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. We're back at you again uh, the day after the inaugural episode of the show. Um, we started off yesterday by kind of, you know, giving a, a quick breakdown of what we expected to see from the MLB trade deadline. And here we are, you know, deadline has, has come and passed us. Uh, we had some crazy moves today. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of breakdowns today between Jake and I and uh, you talk about what we saw, what we wanted to see and maybe didn't and uh you know kind of go from there so jake what you got man today the deadline was insane we saw a lot of moves a lot of moves that seemed like they happened past six o'clock and it started to make me aggravated because when i was doing my podcast notes i didn't know when it was safe to start i was trying to do them in the order i wanted to and i was like i already know alex anthopoulos at some point at 6 35 we're gonna get a trade it wasn't quite 6 35 but we did go on a little bit past six and it was an exciting one i'm sure we'll get to it at some point in the episode i wanted to go ahead and start off by saying that uh our podcast that we do, which is just the feed from the live, is now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Whenever this finishes up, the next morning, you should be able to find the podcast. So if you miss some of it and can't catch it, you know, you can check some of the podcast next morning. Listen to it on the ride to work. Absolutely. And for the for the guys out there that are listening to us in the car or listening to us from uh, Spotify or, you know, your Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast at, um, you know, always remember that we do have a YouTube channel. We're going to post some some content on there, like our live streams, and uh, you actually get some video footage where you can see some things like, you know, we'll have a, a little breakdown, some graphics up on the screen to kind of talk about, you know, the various things that we discuss. I know today we got some, uh, some college football breakdowns, some SEC breakdowns, so you'll get to see that on there and... Uh, you know, get you a little screenshot action, get on there, see what you see, what you think, come up with your own list and uh, let's compare and, you know, let us know anything you, you have in the comments. If you have any, uh, any debates you want to get after or, or any hot takes you notice that you think, uh, that you think we, we got a little crazy on, uh, let us know. We'd love to see it. Oh yeah. Last shout out I have, uh, we also have a Twitter, uh, find us on Twitter at peach state pod. Um, that's where we post all of our stuff, letting you know, when we go live, letting you know, anything that what we're doing. Uh, sometimes we post a little funny stuff, just, you know, getting it started. Uh, Kenny, you want to get this thing started? And let's get the let's get going, man. I'm pumped. All right, I'll go ahead and lead us off. Uh, first first news I want to talk about. We're gonna talk about the first trade that the Braves made, and this trade actually happened before we did the podcast yesterday. But I wanted to save all the Braves moves for today's episode, and it wasn't really like a super crazy deal. Uh, the Braves bring in former Brave Ari Adrianza uh, from the Washington Nationals in exchange for a, a minor league outfielder Trey Harris. Um, Ari Ergianza this year, he only has, uh, you know, Ari, he has a 179 batting average. He has a 255 on base percentage, 202 slugging, and 458, uh, OPS. No home runs, seven RBIs, limited, pl- uh, limited play time. Uh, you know, he's, he's, was a big part of our World Series team last year. what you think about it, Kenny? Man, I'm pumped to see him back, you know. He, he's kind of a guy that, that's a little bit slept on. I know Brace fans, you know, you, you, I don't want to say get your hopes up, but you, you get kind of excited about what the trade deadline can bring. And last year we had such a stellar, uh, such a stellar performance at the trade deadline. Obviously, Alex Anthopoulos, AA, we call him. Uh, he, dude's a stud. I mean, I, I think, in my opinion, he's the, he's the best GM in all baseball. Oh. Um, and he's just somebody, man. He, he's going to do whatever it takes to put you in a good position. You know, we, we kind of hit on it yesterday with the Austin Riley contract and the press conference that followed shortly after where he came on there and said very few words and just kind of gave the Braves fans a breakdown and said, hey, look, you guys keep selling out the stadium. You keep coming out to the battery, supporting the team. We're going to contend. And um, you, you see that. You, you see the, the, the blessings that we receive from things like that, like locking down our, our third baseman long term. So I think Adrian's are coming back. That's just a, it's another it's another move that not a lot of people 
really, you know, you, you may not have seen it coming or you may not have expected it, but he's a versatile player, man. He was such an integral part of the team last year. And, um, you know, he might not be your everyday starter, your everyday heavy hitter that's going to come out there. But uh, I, I think he's a he's a super key pickup for us. And I'm pumped to see him back on the squad. It definitely wasn't a very flashy move, but, you know, AA is known to turn the not very flashy moves into very flashy moves. I'm not going to say Ari Adrianz is going to come out and be a superstar with the Braves, but he's, he's definitely going to play a solid role with Atlanta. I mean, he did it last year. He stepped in big times last year, played a significant role throughout the, I'm not going to say throughout the playoff push, but he kept us he kept us where we were at the beginning of the season, and we didn't fall too far off when he was out there playing left field every day. Yeah, and I think that's a big testament to just the the players on the team and the coaching staff and really just the, the environment of the locker room and the dugout. We, we have a – you see a common trend of guys coming in, whether they're struggling guys or just, you know, lesser-known guys that come in, and, and it seems like they just fit, and they, they really like it there. And I think it's a, it's a big testament to just the morale of the team and the bond that these guys have. And you see, you know – Guillermo Heredi out there chopping with bringing the sword out. So it's a it's a, a unique uh, I'll say a, a unique uh, squad and uh, it, it, you got high morale all around the place. So when you got these guys coming in that might not be as highly touted of a, a trade target that you know as other guys um, that the Braves just seem to have the magic touch, man. That they bring out the best in everybody. So Adrianza he might just be the next one. Yeah, and I'm sure, man. I'm sure he's probably back in Atlanta. Get off that future Nationals team after they pretty much trade their whole like main core away to get some prospects uh and you know like like you were just saying he's he's just a versatile player he'll help he'll help in the long term I think the funny part of this deal though uh in correspondence to this deal uh the Braves actually DFA'd Robinson Cano to make room for uh Ari Adrianza on the roster and with that the Robinson Cano era is officially over in Atlanta Atlanta legend Robinson Cano uh Atlanta legend, as they always are. Atlanta legend. Uh, he is still owed forty million dollars over the next two, or a little bit over forty million actually, over the next two years by the New York Mets. So even when he's not helping the Braves on the field, he is helping us off the field. Yeah, we appreciate that. Anytime you can hurt the competitors' pockets, boy, that uh, that sure does put a smile on my face. That is true. Uh, let's go to the next move. So the next move I have written down right here. Uh, the Braves received Robbie Grossman from the Detroit Tigers for minor league pitcher Chris Anglin. Kenny, what's your take on losing Mr. Chris Anglin from the farm system? I know it's a killer move. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you've heard it. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. You hear it from Braves fans. You hear it from people that oppose the Braves. The farm system is dead, and I think we can officially put the nail in the coffin with Chris Anglin. Um, it's over. You know, it was a good run. Um, proud to be a Braves fan, but uh, I think I'll go ahead and hang my jerseys up and, and just hang my head and walk off. I, I, I really have to ask you, this is a serious question. Have you ever heard the name Chris Anglin? Because I, I know I haven't. When I saw that news that he was the guy that was traded, I'm not saying Robbie Grossman is a superstar, but still, you see a guy like that get traded that you've never heard of. I think I think he was a pitcher in high A this year for the Braves with like a four ERA, so I don't know what his prospect status really was, but it, it was definitely an interesting name to see get thrown around for a major league caliber a caliber player. Chris Anglin, man, don't you know he's the legendary uh, magician? He had his TV shows. He was, uh, you know, pulling rabbits out of the hat, pulling playing deck cards out of the back of people. Oh wait, no, that was uh, that's Chris Angel. That that might have been Chris Angel. That might have been Chris Angel, the guy that pushed the penny through his arm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this might be his cousin. <laughs> I would believe it. Uh, yeah, it's uh. Oh, Chris Anglin, man. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna be biting, like eating, biting my tongue whenever about five years from now he's uh the ace for the Detroit Tigers. You know, who knows? Everything could change in the future. 
Oh yeah, he'll probably he's gonna be the next Kevin Gossman. Um, so we're talking about Robbie Grossman, right? Robbie Grossman is legit one of the guys that would have fit on our category of players we listed yesterday on yesterday's podcast, but we didn't list him. Um, he's the perfect platoon guy. The guy uh has a 999 OPS against lefties this year, and if you're gonna platoon a guy like that again with with uh Rosario, that's a perfect situation. And that goes that just goes along with what AA and Snit were talking about about bringing somebody in that mashes lefties. You want to bring in a, a you know a nice bat that's gonna go out there and, and get you those 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 at bats versus lefties. And that's something that um, we're we're kind of nervous about and a, a void that we needed to fill when when Duval went down with an injury. So uh, this is another guy, man, Robbie Grossman. He's a he's a notable player. You know, he's a guy that's been around for a while. He's uh, I think what 30, 32, 33. Yeah, somewhere on um, the wrong side of thirty. Yeah, but he's been around for a minute. You know, he's got some time in, and, um, you know, he's not going to be an everyday starter by any means, but for sure. I mean, if you're trying to fill the void of, of you know, bringing somebody in that can that can mash lefties, uh, a 999 OPS would, sure does fit the bill in my opinion. Yeah, and if this was a guy that the Braves picked up in the offseason, I would have been very excited about it. I mean, the dude mashed 23 home runs last year. He has two this year. I don't, I don't know where that decline came because he has like 300 at-bats. But, I mean, the guy has shown in the past. He has, like, real major league power, which is, you know, a positive thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, my next one, uh, and this this is this one hurts. So, Braves lose. Will the thrill. I think we can officially say thank you to Will Smith. All jokes aside, the guy went out in last year's postseason, had 11 innings pitched in the whole postseason, no earned runs, ended all 11 of those games he pitched in. Yeah, man. I mean, baseball, it's a tough sport because on one hand, you, you see guys that have been an integral part of your team for years to come. Will Smith, he's a hometown guy, too. He's from here. So I think him coming coming to the Braves was a, you know, it got me excited. It got a lot of people excited. And, and you know, obviously, thank you so much, Will Smith, for, for everything you've done for the squad. But unfortunately, in the MLB in particular, um, it's such a what have you done for me lately sport. Oh, yeah. And uh, Will the Thrill just, it, it, I, it almost makes me wonder if you remember um, back at the start of the season when we made the move for Kinley and Kinley came in and you you had AA and Snit sit down with Will and have the conversation of, hey, you know, here's the deal. We're thinking about bringing Kinley Jansen in. Would you be open to maybe taking on a different role than you had last year? And it seemed like he was super willing and, you know, he never really seemed like he was off to me, at least, you know, for his mentality. So he came in, and maybe he's not that 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 stud closer. He's you know moving into more of a setup role or, or a different role, and so I, I was super optimistic about it. It seemed like he had a great attitude about it, but I'm almost wondering if maybe that just messed with him a little bit. And, and as the season went on, and as the 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 appearances went on, and and he got up there on the bump a little bit more, if maybe that just kind of jacked him up a little bit. And I think you know it makes me wonder, but I think that's probably got a little bit to do with it. Yeah, one thing about Will, man, he's always he's always been a competitor on the mound. Uh, I remember back in his Brewer days, uh, I believe it was the Brewer days, Freddie Gonzalez called him out for having a shiny substance on his forearm, and he was cussing out the Braves bench from the thing. I believe it came back, it was sunscreen, but it, it was a really funny situation to see him come to Atlanta some years later. Uh, I know that the Astros probably are excited to see him. I mean... The numbers, if you look at the numbers, the ERA, all all of those type of numbers, they they kind of favor him a little bit because us as Braves fans seeing Will Smith pitch every night, I mean, it feels like the guy gives up a run at least an inning and his ERA is like 3.6, 3.8. It might be in the fours now, but I mean, the guy's numbers aren't that bad. So Astros fans are probably looking at it like, you know, it might be a good, pretty good move for him. 
Oh, yeah, and you kind of saw uh, the social media trends and the, the a couple things went viral online of, of you know the Jake Odorizzi move and everyone's all the Astro fans are like, yeah, good luck, guys. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but he's pretty bad. And I'm sitting here thinking all the Braves fans are like, hmm, um, I'll take your Jake Odorizzi and I'll raise you a Will Smith. Yes, yes, definitely uh, raise your Will Smith, especially when we're going to be replacing him with the guy we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, first, we I never really got to Odorizzi. I didn't even mention Odorizzi with the guy we brought back in the trade. What do you expect Odorizzi's uh, role to be with the Atlanta Braves for the next couple weeks? You know, we have a couple doubleheaders coming up, so, you know, there might be a role for a sixth six starter for a little bit. Well, I think, I think number one, it gives us a little bit more of a cushion. Um, it gives you a little bit of a blanket over that, uh, that, that starting rotation to where – Guys, I mean, you hear it time and time again, week after week, people are questioning Ian Anderson, saying, does he still have it? Does he still have it? And he goes up there and, and deals, you know, this past week and has a crazy appearance. And it kind of, you know, makes me a little bit more confident in the situation. But Ian Anderson, you know, he's a guy that he's been so solid for us. Obviously, he's locked down in the postseason. He's been incredible in the postseason. He doesn't crack under pressure. And for some reason, he's just kind of been off this year. And, you know, I'm hoping that he kind of gets back to his old self and gets dialed back in to where he used to be. Um, and I don't think that Jake Odorizzi, by any means, is going to mess that up. I don't think he was. I don't think he was brought in as an Ian replacement. But, you know, you look at what we've got going on down at the AAA level and, and in the minor league system, and the next guy up, in my opinion, you know, you've got the Bryce Elders of the world that have been up, and, the, and they've got some, they've got some action at the big league level. But Kyle Muller was really the guy that we were looking for, and, and not to say that he's out of it, but um, you know, he does have the injury. They're working on the stint on the non-throwing hand, but um, I, I, to me, it just seems like a little bit of a cushion in case of an injury, in case you need to bring a guy in, like you said, maybe a six starter. You know doubleheaders long series coming up so i like the move i think um i don't think he's going to be like a day one impact guy at all but uh i like it and i think it, it definitely gives us a little bit more flexibility yeah i'm really excited for it. you know we got that we got those five games against the mets in four days coming up this weekend so he's definitely going to be a guy that we'll be able to throw out there for one of those like uh four day five games in four days it's kind of a crazy thing you got to use an extra starter yeah. in that situation he'll be the perfect guy for that situation uh, Absolutely, and his numbers this year are good. I mean, Jake Odorizzi this year, and you know, he's four and three with the three seven five ERA. He has forty six strikeouts and sixty innings, and he has a one point one five zero WHIP. Uh, his last start, he actually pitched against Seattle. He pitched seven scoreless with eight strikeouts, and I mean, the guy, the guy, you know, his numbers are solid for a veteran guy to bring in. No, I agree, man. And that just it goes back to what I was just saying a minute ago where, you know, is he going to be a day one big impact guy? I'm not sure. You know, the plans could be there for, for you know, like you hit on to come in during these uh, these crazy double headers and these long stints that we've got coming up. But for the most part, I just like him on the roster. I think he gives us a ton of flexibility. He gives us that cushion. He gives us that that kind of veteran guy there in case we need him and um no I'm, I'm super happy with it i don't think it's a bad move at all and, I, and i'm pumped that we get a guy like that in case we need another starter in the rotation that is very true uh the last move we'll talk about the last move the atlanta braves made this is the one that came right around the 6 6 p.m deadline i think alex anthopoulos actually came out and said that it was a last minute deal that it actually came into discussion like two minutes before the 6 p.m deadline and uh this is the braves receiving closing pitcher from the angels Rasiel iglesias and the guys we sent away, we sent away Jesse Chavez and Tucker Davidson. But, man, any time you get a guy like Rasiel Iglesias in a bullpen, especially whenever we need that hard-throwing righty in the back half of the pen, it's a great move, man. I'm so excited to see Rasiel Iglesias in a Braves uniform. 
Oh, I agree 100%. And, and in my opinion, what, what I kind of what, what was first laid on me and on my mind when I saw this come across is to me, this eliminates the Spencer Strider to the bullpen take that a lot of people have. Um, number one, Spencer Strider has come in and, and he's he's a hard throwing guy. I know he's 101 on the mound, 100 on the mound, 99 consistently. So people look at him and they're like, oh, yeah, bullpen guy, bullpen guy, bullpen guy. Well, I don't know if you saw it, but before the game tonight that we're playing right now against the Phillies, AA was in the booth, and uh, Chip Carey straight up asked him. And I actually have the note here from, uh, I thought it was pretty cool, so I took it down, and I'll read it to you. Um, Chip Carey said, what do you think about Spencer Strider going back to the bullpen? Is that a possibility? Is that something you're thinking? And AA pretty much shut it down immediately and said, heck no. No way. And, and one thing I thought was pretty cool is he said, we're not counting innings. The Braves don't believe in limiting innings or counting innings that you pitch. You pitch until you're ready to come out, and when you come out, you rest until you're ready to go back in. So um, that's something that I think a lot of people have been cautious with with Spencer Strider is does he have that stamina, does he have that ability as the season goes on. And um, Rossiel Iglesias, man, I think he kind of he comes into the bullpen. He takes that mantle as a hard-throwing righty. He's going to come in there. His numbers aren't stellar this year. He's, he's got a, just over a four ERA. He's two and six on the season. Um, but dude's got 16 saves, and you know he's got a nasty pitch split. Throws a sinker changeup, four-seam slider. Four-seam averaging out right at about 95, 95.1 so far this year. So um, I like to see it. Oh, yeah, man. I'm, I'm really pumped to see that type of guy. And especially with Kirby Yates coming back in that back half of the bullpen. I mean, it, three years ago, you look back at it, three years ago, you would say that the Braves had three of the top 10 closers in baseball at the back half of that bullpen with Iglesias, Kirby Yates, and Kenley Jansen. I mean, those guys, those are not just like, you know, terrible names to have. And I mean, they're, they still all have it. I know we haven't seen Kirby Yates pitch in a while, but... And I know he last time he pitched was in the COVID season. It was only like one or two outings. But whenever he was healthy, Kirby Yates was stellar. He was an amazing pitcher. He's going to be a big part of this Braves team when he comes back. Absolutely. I'm pumped to see him come back. I'm super excited to have him on the squad. One more thing about Iglesias, too, before we get off the topic. I believe Iglesias actually has a... I don't have the numbers in front of me. I believe Iglesias has a little bit more like time on his contract, too. Uh... Apparently, the Braves are going to pay the remainder of his four-year, $58 million deal that covers all the way to the 2025 season. But he could be like a the legit player in that bullpen. And he might take the closing role next year when Kenley leaves in free agency. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a possibility. And that just is another thing. You, you go back to, to kind of where we are right now as an organization in that whole area. And, and guys, I don't know um, if you, Braves fans listening, local guys that are listening, you you – if you've been to a game, if you've been to the batter, if you've seen it, in my opinion, um, I think it's clearly the best sporting venue in any major sport in in the United States. Oh, um, it's electric. It is an electric venue for sure. I mean, you got people – I mean, there's not to mention they're selling out the stadium every single night, just about. I think the Braves are, you know, top three – and don't quote me on this, but top three, if not, you know, top top five um, in average attendance this year, which is huge. And that's something AA hit on with the Austin Riley contract that we mentioned a little bit ago. But um, bringing a guy like that, you know, a guy that we're paying some money to, um, honestly, I like to see it because they're kind of printing dollar bills out there in the in the battery. And Liberty Media's got a handle on this whole thing. They're saying the Braves are expected to have a top five payroll in baseball moving forward. And um, this just goes to show, man, I don't think the Braves are. Uh, we we've got that that stigma behind the Braves that the Braves don't want to spend money, but I think this uh this was super motivating to me because I'm like oh yeah we're out here we're 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 spending some money we're bringing the guys in we're not scared anymore. 
Yeah, that's a fact. I'm looking at payroll numbers right now. For the Braves to get into the top five in payroll, the Braves would have to pass the Boston Red Sox at $200 million. As of right now, the Braves are uh, we're sitting in eighth with $181 million. So that would be adding an additional $19 million to payroll next year. And $19 million might be Dansby Swanson. So... <laughs> hopefully hopefully that's the situation we run into we can only hope uh that is one thing i would like to talk to you kenny uh what's your take on the dansby contract where would you value dansby at? if you were to, if he was to hit free agency right now where do you think that his value would be like what what type of deal do you think he would receive man that's a that's a tough question um it's crazy in the league uh, specifically for a guy that plays dansby's position you're talking about a shortstop um obviously shortstops they get all they get all the action they're out there making plays left and right so, um, and a guy like Dansby, who is kind of, I, mean, I don't want to say he's a late bloomer uh, because he's, we've seen this, uh, th- this good play from him on occasion. He's just been a little bit streaky and it was a little bit concerning to Braves fans, you know, myself included, uh, when Dansby started playing this well, this early, because we're like, okay, um, is this, you know, is Dansby, you know, is, is he on pace to have another one of his crazy streaks and then fall off again? And the dude just has it. Like, in my opinion, now I'm starting to wonder: Is this is this the real Dansby? Is this the consistent Dansby that we've been hoping to see? Like it just maybe took him a little bit to get here, and now that he's here, he's going to stay here. Um, in my opinion, I think it is. I think this is the guy. I'd be super disappointed to see him go. I know there's you know you got the Trey Turners of the world that are going to be free agents seasons end. Um, so I, I don't I don't honestly, man, I don't even know where to start. So this might be a better question for you. All I know is a Brace fan is you know. Bring him back. Pay the man. So in a dream world, the number I've been thinking about this today, the number that I am coming up with in my head, and it might seem a little bit low, I'm I'm hoping that we might be able to snag a Dansby Swanson for like a five-year, $75 million deal. That would be $15 million annually. If Dansby starts to work his way up, or if he starts to play his way into a $20 million deal annually, I'm kind of nervous that he might play his way right out of the Braves price, price range and then go right into one of the other high market teams price range. Yeah, that's the concern. I think that's, uh, you know, you're definitely not, not wrong in that. And I think that's kind of the same concern for a lot of people across the board. So absolutely. I mean, I think the guy is, uh, well, I think he ranks sixth, sixth in war or something this year. Some crazy thing that you would never expect Dansby Swanson to rank that high in. And, uh, you know, the guy's performing. Dansby, he's a Georgia boy. So we can only hope we bring him back. And the, like you said, the Austin Riley thing is very good to see. And hopefully it's just more good news to come with Dansby Swanson being an Atlanta Brave for years to come, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just it, it goes to show, man. I mean, Dansby Swanson is undoubtedly or was undoubtedly the should or should have been the, the NL starter in the for shortstop in the All-Star game. I know they gave it to Trey Turner, but I mean, statistically and all across the board, he's having a better year than Trey. I know Trey is Trey and Trey's, you know, going to ball and, and he's who he is. And, you know, obviously, you know, you, you talk about top shortstops in the league. The dude is number one or number two on just about everybody's list. But, you know, you look at just this season alone, I know it's a fan voted event, so it's something that's not the most consistent, but Dansby should have been up there. I know he was just behind him in votes. I think it was like, 51 percent to 49 percent as far as the starting you know competition went and uh i think he's going to get paid accordingly oh definitely yeah. he'll he'll make he'll make some money this offseason uh let's jump into the next thing i wanted to go before we get into the other team's trade deadlines uh i would like to go ahead and say that the braves had the nl rookie of the month today and the nl player of the month today with spencer strider and austin riley uh this month austin riley's july stats he hit 423 
with a 460 on base percentage and 885 slugging that adds up to a 1.344 OPS not to mention the record-breaking 26 extra base hits that was 11 home runs and, and 15 doubles what I I, I want to ask you what you think about Austin Riley's July but I feel like I might already know the answer but go ahead go ahead and give me some stuff on it what what, do you, what you what you thinking Kenny I mean it, you it's crazy man I mean it's absolutely nuts and we literally have not seen anything like it. The closest we've seen was Chipper and I believe 99. 99, MVP um, season. Yeah, MVP season. Is that the year that Chipper also was not an all-star? I believe Chipper was not an all-star that year. Yes, I think you're correct yeah. on that. Alton Riley got in the game. I know he got, he got you know, kind of shafted there in the beginning stages of everything. But, uh, you know, Chipper, man, I mean, Braves, great. You know, first ballot Hall of Famer, the greatest third baseman of all time. Um, you talk about a guy like Chipper Jones and you're comparing him to a guy that we've got on the team right now. You're comparing him to anybody. I don't care who you are, whether you're a brave or, or another team. You're, if you're comparing somebody to Chipper Jones, um, they're, you know, Austin Riley knows ball. Austin Riley definitely knows ball. And I'm just doing a little live check in on the, uh, Braves game right now. Cause you know, we're playing the Phillies, uh, time check. It's nine 36 PM Eastern time. Currently the Braves games in the top of the six, nine to one Braves. I don't know what happened, uh, but I wanted to check in on it because the NL Rookie of the Month is actually pitching today. Spencer Strider. Um, Spencer Strider in the month of July, five starts, two and one with a 2-7 ERA, 41 strikeouts in 26 and two-thirds innings. The most crazy part about his July, he had a 158 opponent batting average through those five starts. That is insane. And not to mention today, he's... Five and a third deep with only two hits and earned run a walk and ten strikeouts. So he's he just keeps on doing it, man. Huckleberry is a machine. Dude, it's it's nuts. I mean, you see a guy like this come in and it fired us up at the beginning of the year. I know you and I were both on the Spencer Strider train before we even saw this dude. We're like, please give us a hard throwing starter. Give us a hard throwing starter. We want to see somebody step up on the bump, throw one oh one at your face, and you can't do anything about it. And uh sure enough. When you got when you got stuff like that, man, and you step into the game and you're out there just absolutely chucking fastballs and you throw a slider in the dirt and dudes can't even differentiate between the two, and then not to mention this dude's a rookie. I mean, this dude is nuts. And I'm just thankful that he's on the team because could you imagine what how the Braves play? We live by the long ball, dive by the long ball. This dude's on the mound against us. I don't even think we could touch him with a tennis racket. He's, he's legit like little day grown, man. Uh, and I, I need to stop. I need to stop looking at this live phrase because uh, five and two thirds with 11 strikeouts now. So <laughs> he's, he's adding on to the numbers uh, slowly. You know, he's he's a machine. He's the he's the man with the with the thick thighs on the mound. Got the tight pants style was never a fan of it. But a guy like that can rock it. I am fully supportive of it. And <laughs> it looks a lot better than Walker Bueller. Yeah, you were asking. You don't know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Dansley Swanson happened. Dude's three for four right now with an RBI. Eddie Rosario's two for three with three RBIs. Don't forget Orlando. Don't forget don't Orlando. Forget Orlando. We <laughs> talked about him yesterday. Even Ozuna, man, two for three. I mean, the guys, the guys that we needed to see heat up are heating up right now. And boy, is it perfect timing because the, we're going to New York. We're gonna face the Mets, and we're gonna. Ooh, man. I, I mean, three games back right now. I think the Mets are losing right now. Boy. Could this be the week that the Braves take the division lead? I, I sure hope so, man. Whenever we get to a little bit of NL East uh, coverage a little bit later on, we'll we'll, ch we'll check a little bit of live box scores and see what the see what the race is kind of stacking up to be. Let's go ahead and get into the uh, other trades that happened today 
and yesterday i have a couple of them written down is, is there anyone in particular you want to talk about i know the big one that we all want to talk about but I, I'll, I'll let you take the stage i'll tell you what and i want to hit on one more thing before we move on um it's one it's one point that i, I kind of discussed yesterday with you off air um I'm I'm kind of curious. This goes back to the Dansby Swanson situation, the Austin Riley contract. I'm a little bit curious um, with you know the trade deadline and, and everyone expecting these these crazy trades and, and Austin Riley signs that ten year deal. I'm almost wondering if Dansby has an offer on the table or if they're in negotiations right now. So I, I'm hopeful that we're in talks to to you know get this dude extended and keep him in Atlanta right now. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we move on. That um you know I've got high hopes for Dansby and and I'm wondering if that Austin Riley contract is a, is a you know kind of a telltale sign that maybe they're working on something for him too. Yeah, the thing with Dansby is like right now the ball is in Dansby's court. Like Dansby can do whatever Dansby wants to do because he's already played at such a high level this year. And even the power numbers last year would have got him paid. And yeah. honestly, like other than Atlanta being where he's from, the like there's nothing stopping him from hitting free agency and just getting those big contract offers and then coming back to the Braves like, oh, this team offered me $21 million. Can you up that? Like it's kind of yeah. we're kind of in the situation now where I would love to see an extension because I feel like it would be very beneficial for the Braves, but I just don't I don't know if that would be something that Dansby would be willing to do. And honestly, it's not the smartest thing to do. You might as well like if I was him, you go out and hit free agency and try to use that those offers to, you know, try to persuade the Braves and giving you a little bit more money. Yeah, and it's funny to think about you talk about the arbitration hearing. I heard Dansby talk about in, a, in an interview. It's crazy to think that Dansby is coming up through the Braves organization. He's you know born and raised Atlanta guy, and you know obviously a Braves fan for life. And the organization loves him, the fan base loves him, and you're sitting in an arbitration hearing against the organization that you play for and you're balling for, and they're just sitting there telling you about how bad you are trying to get your value down. <laughs> so uh, that's a funny thing to think about. But man, Dansby, yeah, ball's definitely in his court. I mean, he's got all the leverage in the world. If he wanted to walk up there and see what teams are offering him, he absolutely could. Um, he seems like he's an Atlanta guy. I, I hope he is, and, and I want to keep him here. But, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Okay, I, I think I think we can cover a little bit more on Dansby as the season goes on. we got plenty of time with him. I'm sure, you know, if a big contract extension was to happen tomorrow, we'd have coverage of it. So we'll, 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 get, to, we'll, get, we'll get to Dansby a little bit, uh, a little bit later down the road. Uh, so, trades. Uh, I'll go ahead and break this in. Uh, the first one that everybody's going to be talking about, Padres received Superstar. Arguably one of the greatest hitters for a guy at his age. I would probably say the bet greatest hitter for a guy at his age. You know, the guys you put him with are crazy. Juan Soto, left fielder from the Washington Nationals, goes to the Padres, along with first baseman Josh Bell, who's honestly playing like a top five first baseman of baseball this year. Absolutely, man. Josh Bell super slept on part of that deal. I mean, he's going to change things around, especially when you talk about the whole dynamic with Eric Cosmer and all that, you know, drama that went out today. I mean, they lost. I mean, and, and nobody's really talked about it because Juan Soto's gotten so much, you know, media time and media attention. But not only did the Padres bring him in, but they brought in an amazing uh, first baseman, a guy who's batting 300 this year. He's smacking the ball around. He's a switch hitter. He's a he's a franchise player. Um, and you know, they got rid of Eric Cosmer and Luke Voigt today, so they lost both of their first basemen. Um, and bring you bring a guy like Josh Bell. That's a scary team. Oh, yeah, I think that's definitely a significant upgrade over both those guys. This is a team that come October, in the middle of their lineup, you're going to run into Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Fernando Tatis, and Manny Machado. As, along with, not to mention, their starters, Joe Musgrove, Yu Darvish, and uh, Blake Snell. Like those, <laughs> That's going to be a really scary team to play in the playoffs, and I hope that the Braves do not have to meet them. 
Man, Joe Musgrove just got the bag too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that probably got him a little bit fired up. Musgrove uh, got pumped up. And to be fair, they did give away quite a package. Uh, you know, going to the Nationals, they get left-handed pitcher Mackenzie Gore. Guy's a stud. Guy's having a crazy year this year. They also get shortstop C.J. Abrams. We all know about C.J. Abrams. His numbers might not look fantastic, but the guy's a has been a top-tier prospect for a reason. The tools are there. The talent's there. He'll he'll pan out. And then they also get a whole plethora of prospects. Now the Nationals have Robert Hassel, James Wood, and Jarlin Susana. Those are all top 10 guys in their organization right now. Like, they, they definitely reloaded. And that doesn't count them trading Max Scherzer last year brought in Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray. So they <laughs> their yeah, young I mean, core is going to be insane. Yeah, I mean, C.J. Abrams, dude, he's 21 years old. Dude was born in 2000. He's a hometown boy, too. Is he really? He's a Georgia guy? Yeah, he's uh, he went to uh, Blessed Trinity, I believe. Oh, that's awesome, man. I, I, that's, that's something I didn't know. Maybe I'm a C.J. Abrams fan now. Yeah, dude's a freak, man. I know his numbers might not be stellar, but like I said, dude, 21 years old. You're out there. This guy had all the had all the attention in the world because he came in. He was the, the shortstop that was supposed to fill in for Fernando Tatis. Talk about some shoes to fill. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking back at his minor league numbers, man. At 21 earlier this year in AAA, man, 314 with seven bombs and 140 at bats. The guy got, I mean, that's that's legit power numbers for a guy that's, you know, a pretty lanky guy. Oh, absolutely. And I just checked on it. Yeah, he's uh, from Alpharetta. Alpharetta, nice. Uh, also, is there anybody else you want to cover in here? You want to talk about Mackenzie Gore? I know Mackenzie Gore's kind of, you know, spoke for himself this year with what he's what he's been able to accomplish. So, I mean. Those type of guys, you bring them into your thing. You have a great core. Mackenzie Gore's numbers aren't fantastic, but I mean, like you were just saying, the guy's a young, young starting pitcher. Young starters are like the, you know, like basically the currency of MLB nowadays. And he's a lefty, so you know he has a lot of, lot of talent, a lot of potential. Oh yeah, man. We could talk about Mackenzie Gore all day. Dude's an absolute dog. Dog. Wait. Wait. Oh well. <laughs> Uh, so let's go to the next. We're gonna also stick with the Padres here. Padres bring in the guy that you we had that you had mentioned on the podcast yesterday, Brandon Drury. For uh, I believe they traded away Victor Acosta, and he's not quite rated yet on Cincinnati's top prospects, but he was the Padres' number six prospect. What do you think about that move? Man, Brandon Drury. I mean, obviously he was what number three on my list for targets that I, that I would love to see the Braves go after. Um. He's a guy that a lot of people were curious to see if the Reds were going to trade him because he's he is such a such a great dude uh, or such a great player I should say seems like a good guy as well a good locker room guy a good dugout guy um, so it, people were kind of curious to see if they were going to try and keep him and, and build that team around him so you let him go especially to a to a perennial contender like the Padres for years to come that's scary man I mean this team's loading up um, you know. Their lineup rivals a lot of other teams in the in the league right now, and um, you, you add a guy like that, and it just brings a whole new dynamic to the squad. Yeah, he's the perfect guy, man. Like you said, he plays every position. If anybody gets hurt, you just throw him out there, and you have a plus bat in your lineup. So that's a, that's a, that's really an awesome move. I wanted to go ahead and cover the Padres. I don't want to cover every single team. We'd be here all night if we did. But the Padres, they just had such a crazy deadline. You had to go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, I do though want to co- cover the NL East teams. Um. The Phillies made quite a few trades today. The Phillies made deals with the Angels, and they made deals with the Cubs. Two separate deals with the Angels. The first one that we had seen, uh, Brandon Marsh goes to the Phillies in exchange for catcher Logan Ohoppy? Ohoop? I I, I don't know, but, I mean, Brandon Marsh, friend of the podcast. He's not really a friend, but he's from Buford. So, I mean, Georgia boy, you know, we claim him. But Yeah, absolutely. 
I, I don't feel like I've kept up with Brandon Marsh as much as I should, but, you know, just knowing knowing his prospect caliber and all that stuff, I'm pulling up stats right now. Knowing his prospect caliber and stuff, I feel like that they might have got an absolute steal. Oh, it's back two twenty six. Okay. Maybe 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 I might be a little too high on Mr. Brandon Marsh. Well, and he's just a crazy athlete in general. I mean, you talk about a team like that that's picking up a guy like this. I mean, Brandon Marsh, he's a young guy, obviously hometown kid. Um, you know, he's got a lot of upside, I think, and I think you definitely you land your uh, you, you land your your future stud in the outfield, and you know whether this guy pans out to be the next Mike Trout, you know, no, no one can really say, and I don't think that that's kind of what you're looking for. But I mean, you, you don't write this guy off. I mean, he he's quick. He he's you know a great base runner. You know, he's going to go out there and give you some positive production. So I think this is a you know when you talk about making moves and bringing a guy in, I don't think it's it's something that should be slept on. I think Brandon Marsh is is definitely a guy for the future. Yeah, definitely so. And uh, you know, he he's going to the Phillies. Uh, we're I'm gonna give a little hometown reference. This is the same guy that lost the state championship to Locust Grove High School whenever we had played them in the state championship, and now he's just gonna lose to the Atlanta Braves. So just a guy that's used to losing to teams that I root for. Yeah, I mean, you know, they always say the worst hope is false hope. So, um, you know, the mo- the more false hope we can give our our contenders, um, you know, the, the better I am. I mean, you talk about the Phillies. This team came in here super, super pumped about this season. You know, think you know they're playing good ball. I mean, it's crazy to think that the NL East, the top three teams, are playing as good as they are. But you bring in a guy like this, and uh, you know, I'd love to see him do well. Um, you put him in a Phillies uniform, and that's just not the case anymore. That is a fact. And uh, Mr. Marsh, I hope if you're listening to this podcast or if you ever get to it, YouTube, whatever you want to listen to it on, uh, you know, it's all love. We're we're big fans, actually. I'm a big fan of Brandon Marsh. I root for you to do the best. Just not against the Atlanta Braves and not whenever it gets to clutch time and late in the season. Um, oh, let's go to the next move. Okay, so we have two different ones I can choose from. And I'm sitting here looking at them trying to figure out which one's the best move for the Phillies. I mean, the Phillies had a pretty good deadline. Uh, let's go to Syndergaard. The other trade that the Bre- that the Phillies made with the Angels, they brought in Noah Syndergaard. They traded uh, Mickey Moniak and outfielder Jody L. Sanchez. I'm not too familiar with Jody L. Sanchez, but I know Mickey Moniak was f- former number one overall pick. Yeah, absolutely. And Noah Syndergaard, man, he's uh, he's a guy that's been in the league for a while. He's a uh, noted starter. Um, he's going to give you some positive production, especially for a team like that where they could really, really use it. Um, you look at his numbers this year, they're not incredible. I mean, he's 5-8. and eight. He's got a 3.8 ERA. Um Started 15 games this season. Um, you know, he's 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 a good player. I mean, Noah Syndergaard, you know, we saw him a lot. I mean, you talk about NL East. I mean, this guy's been around. You know, he's coming back. We, we got a lot of familiarity with him. And, um, you know, it's a good pickup for them. It's a guy that, you know, we kind of hit on a little bit yesterday. It could be a, a potential suitor for the Braves to, to go after. And I think it was reported on a little bit that we were one of the three teams um, that were, you know, kind of in talks with him. And he ends up going to a, to a rival and, um, you know, Good pitcher, a guy that we're going to have to face, and uh, you know I'm looking forward to it. We've had some success against him in the past, so I don't have any reason to believe any different now. Yeah, I think the Odorizzi deal kind of knocks out the whole center guard thing. I know that there's always reports after a move's already made that the team's still interested, but I always kind of believe that that's just the Braves making a call on center guard before the Odorizzi thing. Like, I don't think the Braves right. want to bring in a guy like center guard after we already brought in Odorizzi. But Syndergaard, like I said, I'm high on him. I mean, I mentioned he was my number two on the guys I wanted the Braves to bring in. He's a guy that in the past he's had success, and he has electric stuff. So, I mean, he could be a really good pickup for the Phillies. And if not, I mean, you didn't give up much. Like, Mickey Moniak's a former number one overall pick, but the guy has like a 130 career batting average. And he's he fell down the prospect ranks rather quickly in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, Mickey Moniak, he... 
he is what he is. We don't really need to, to dive more into that. <laughs> All right, the last move and the biggest move for the Phillies to me. Uh, the Phillies send Cubs send the Cubs. Uh, ben Ben Brown. He's now the eleventh prospect. He's uh he's a right handed pitcher. He's, he's he's a pretty decent little pitcher. But they bring in right handed reliever David Robertson. Man, David Robertson. I can't talk enough about David Robertson. David Robertson is one of those guys. It just seems like when he comes out and pitches against you, he is so tough to hit. And the man is thirty seven years old. He's not slowing down. He has the 2.23 ERA in 36 games this year with 14 saves. And that's with the Cubs. So the saves numbers will be way up on a winning team. Well, dude, he's a freak. And that's something that I feel like you're seeing a little bit more of as far as relievers in the league go. I mean, I don't know if, if David Robertson's got the TB12 method going or, or what. He's eating avocado ice cream. He's getting massages on the weekend. But he's literally not aging. No, I agree. And it's like you just said, TB12 method. Uh, I think Jesse Chavez, I'm pretty sure he'll just keep on coming back to the Braves every year. And getting traded oh, away, or and I'd love to see it, <laughs> or signing somewhere on a minor league doing, making it back all the way until he's fifty years old. Because I think Jesse's already like thirty-eight right now, and he's still doing it. He's still throwing yeah. his little eighty-nine mile per hour cutter, and he's getting outs. Absolutely. Um, I think the last move I have, like the really big one that happened. I know the Mets made a trade like a couple weeks ago, and they made they brought in Vogel back, and they brought in they brought in an outfielder. I don't remember who it was particularly. The trades that were covering on the deadline. This was a very sleeper trade because I did not see what the Marlins got back on this trade until I got home and started doing a little bit of research. Uh, the Marlins trade relief pitchers Anthony Bass and Zach Pop, and they bring in shortstop Jordan Groshans from Toronto. That was a little bit of a surprising deal, and I saw that return. Yeah, that was surprising, and and I think um, you know you you see, and I don't want to say that I follow them closely, but uh, the Blue Jays are kind of a fun team to watch, especially they're not really a team that plays uh, during the same time as the Braves. So obviously, I try to get in all 162 games for the Braves. So, but I see a lot of the Blue Jays, and you hear a lot just in general, and you know as as guys that that follow the sport as closely as we do, Jordan Groshans, man, I mean people have been high on him forever. I mean, dude came in, he's a if you're if you're a game reason MLB the show legend from last year, so uh, oh yeah. yeah, that was a that, that kind of surprised me, man. I think a lot of Jays fans were the same way, kind of like you know what what are we doing here? So uh, that that definitely surprised me, and the dude's gonna be a freak, I think. Yeah, I looked at the stats, man. He's had good years in the minor leagues every year. This year's been a little bit of a slow year, but it's his first year playing in AAA. So I mean, he's he's push he's pushing the major league level, and uh, I mean the Marlins already have to me. And I'm a Braves fan, but the Marlins have a great future ahead of them with that with that pitching staff and some of the young guys they have with Jazz and now they have Groshans and like your the, their pitching is insane in the minor leagues. Yuri Perez, Max Meyer, Eduardo. I mean, I about said Eduardo, Edward Cabrera. I mean, it's not even to mention Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez, who's already up there performing. Sixto Sanchez. Hold up, let me get the last name in there. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, look, the Marlins. You know, they like you just said, they've got a very bright future. I'm, you know, just about ninety nine point nine percent sure that these guys will they'll develop. They'll come up to the big leagues. They'll turn into studs, perennial MVP candidates, and they'll, they'll trade them to the Yankees. So, uh, but I don't know. You know, Derek <laughs> Jeter made his departure, so they got rid of the whole controversy. But the Marlins, man, it just seems like they're producing these stud players, and they've been doing it for years and years and years, and then they get up to the major league level, and they're just like, yeah, I want you to go kick rocks. That is a fact. They had, they had, they had a core. They had a core of Christian Yelich, uh, Mike Stanton, a.k.a. Giancarlo Stanton, Mike Stanton back in the day, uh, um, the late, great Jose Fernandez, uh, Christian Yelich. I don't know if I, did I already mentioned Christian Yelich. Was that one of the names I said? 
in his first one. Marcelo Zuna, JT Realmuto. Yeah. I mean, they had so many guys in the teams, and they were still bad. I I I like the Marlins. I feel like if I had to root for an NL East team outside of the Braves, the Marlins would be my go-to. But I think the only reason I'm saying that is because they're never like super competitive, other than the COVID season when they somehow made the playoffs. When every single team in baseball made the playoffs. Yeah. No, dude, the Marlins are they're a team like that. They're such an easy team to hate and an easy team to love in the same in the same sentiment. It, it's crazy to think about, uh, you know, all the stud players that have come through that organization and just been dealt. So, uh it, it's it's nuts, man. I can't imagine being a Marlins fan. So, um I'm sure they've got super high hopes right now, but they're trying to keep their expectations very very low. That is a fact, and uh, yeah, I think I think that might wrap it up on our trade deadline stuff. Uh, that again, there's there's been a lot of trades today. It's been a very busy day. Um, I would like to say before we get out of here, Eric Hosmer is a legend. I don't know if he covered. I know we talked about him a little bit. But Eric Hosmer is a legend by turning down the deal to the National. Smart man. Nobody wants to go there and play. But then he got traded to the Red Sox, correct? Yeah, Red Sox. So Eric Hosmer's situation was kind of unique to me for a couple reasons, but the the primary reason for me is. I mean, Eric Hosmer, man, dude is, I know he's not having the best production in the world, but he's a guy that's been around for a minute. He's a highly respected player. He's got a no trade clause in his contract. I don't even understand from an organizational perspective, from a player perspective, how can you even negotiate a deal on this guy's behalf to send him <laughs> to a team where he may or may not even want to go per his contract that you presented him and agreed upon? Like, how is that even a thing? It, it makes no sense to me. So at, at first thought, I was like, is this just going to be one of those situations where he just kind of sucks it up and, and does, you know, what everyone wants him to? And everyone said, oh, Padres are going to Padres are going to hate him. Fans are going to hate him. He's going to get booed. Well, guess what? He's still not there, and he got a much better end of the deal than going down to Washington. So props to him. Especially in, like, one of the biggest trade packages of all time. Like, everybody was so amped up for this trade to happen. Everybody was reporting that the trade was a done deal, and all of a sudden it's, hold up. Eric Hosmer does not want to go to Philadelphia. Or not Philadelphia, I'm sorry, Washington. Eric Hosmer doesn't go to Washington. So we legit pushed back the Juan Soto trade. Like I said, one of the best hitters of all time at his age just because a guy like Eric Hosmer does not want to go to Washington. <laughs> right, and then they end up getting Luke Voigt as a concession. Yeah, uh, Hosmer Hosmer went to Voigt. He said, yeah, man, you're going to have to suck it up. You're going to go play with the losers. I'm going to go play with losers, by the way, too, because I'm also going to Boston, who's not very good at baseball, somehow. But, I mean... <laughs> yeah, look, the, G, the GM called him. He looked, He answered the phone. He hung up the phone. He walked over to Luke Voigt's locker and said, hey, bud, how you doing? Um, quick question. Do you have a no trade clause in your contract? Luke Voigt's like, no, no, I don't. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, but uh, yeah, you're gonna I'm look really going. good. You're gonna look really good in DC. I'm just gonna let you know, Luke. Um, roots rooting yeah. for Luke, by the way. Luke's a legend, <laughs> not against Atlanta, but <laughs> Luke is Luke. Uh, root for him. I know that's a crappy situation to see that you're get to, you almost got to stick around with uh the playoff contending Padres, and all of a sudden now you're getting shipped off to Washington. All right, Kenny. Uh, I know we have we have the next thing we're gonna cover is gonna be a little bit of uh NL East team rankings. Uh, do you want to do this first? I feel like that I might want to let you do this first because this is this is your like entry. So I'm gonna let you do this first. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds good to me, man. I mean, obviously we're Braves fans. This is a, this is a hometown podcast where you know majority talking local sports. You know, ninety percent of the time. Um. If you want to ask me what I think about the division standings right now and where we'll be, you know, a couple months from now heading into the postseason, it's it's not a question. I think the Braves are gonna are gonna five Pete. 
Um, we've won the division four years in a row. The Mets are the Mets. They're going to Met. They're going to flake out. They're going to do the same thing they do every year. Is the team significantly better than it used to be? Absolutely, one hundred percent. From the starting rotation to the bullpen, you got guys like Edwin Diaz. You got a you know a completely revamped batting lineup. You know they made a couple trades. They got a couple guys in there. You got Pete Alonso doing deadlifts with one thirty five on the hex bar wearing cleats. Absolute um, machine. Absolute menace. Yeah, dude. I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a unique situation, I'll say. And and I'm not trying to sound like some crazy homer standing up here saying, "Oh, I'm not worried about the Mets at all." But um, I'm not worried about the Mets at all. No, I agree. And I, I I'm my that's my apologies. I for, I completely forgot about the NL East coverage. We'll, we'll we'll dive into that just a little bit. Uh, and I have to say, I completely agree. I do think the NL East is a division that's going to have three playoff teams. This is my uh thing. I do think that Philadelphia is going to be able to jump uh St. Louis. And I think that the Braves are going to pass the Mets. So I think that the Braves will win the NL East. We'll take that second spot. I don't think anybody in the NL is going to pass the Dodgers in record-wise. But I think the wildcard teams right now, I think we're going to see the Padres. I think we're going to see the uh, Phillies. And I think we're going to see the Mets. Yeah, there's actually a chart that comes out every year that talks about postseason percentage. And, of course, it's not actual percentages. It's just, you know, projected percentages, I guess you could say, that had uh, the Mets and the Braves on there talking about what's the percentage, the chance that they make the playoffs. And I think the Mets were actually a 100% chance to make the playoffs, and the Braves were 99.1. So, And I'm not saying that to to sound like we're okay with second place, we're okay with not winning the NL East, because absolutely we want to win it, and absolutely we are going to win it. I'm super confident in that, and, and I think you're going to see that in a big series coming up with the Mets. We play five games against those dudes, um, you know, with a doubleheader in there. So, no, I'm not. I'm not too worried about it, man. I, I, I think we're going to make that jump. We're going to, you know, do. We're going to. Braves are going to brave. Mets are going to met, and um, I, I think you're going to see things regress to the mean. The Braves are going to take that mantle and keep rocking. But at some point, you got to think. Um, we're going to cross pass, whether it's in the postseason. Uh, obviously, we're going to cross pass beforehand. But the Mets are a team where, regardless of where this NL East standings or where these NLS, uh, NL East standings finish uh, at regular season's end, um, these are both postseason teams. And uh, they're both teams that are capable of winning a World Series. I just think the Braves line up from head to toe is, is hands down better than the Mets. Um, so I'm not too concerned about it as far as the NL East goes. Yeah, I feel like the NL Central is kind of the weak point in the NL right now. I feel like the NL East has two legit teams that can win a World Series, and the NL West has two legit teams that can win a World Series now with the Padres making some additions. Like, if the Central wasn't around, I'm not too high on the Brewers, I'm not too high on the Cardinals, but, like, I guess they got to make it at this point. I mean, they they have good records, like, don't get me wrong, but it's it. I, I think there's four legit contenders right now in the NL, one of them being the Braves. Yeah, and, and our, you know, our perception of everything is kind of watered down right now, especially when you it's easy to throw last season out the window when you're talking about where we are now versus where we were and how we were battling 500 going into the to the all-star break and and uh, and now we're sitting here 21 games over 500 it's a it's a crazy position to be at and to think that the Braves are over 20 games over 500 and don't have the division lead but that's just kind of that that's that's what's going on right now you've got great teams teams are are learning you know to be a a part of this NL East and to attempt to be a contender and build a World Series-type roster. Um, this is the kind of run you've got to go on, man. I mean, the Mets are up there with one of the best records in the entire league, and we're sitting here talking about, are the Braves going to pass them in the division? And that's just a crazy thing to think about. I mean, imagine if we were another fan base having the same conversation, saying we're 21 games over 500, and are we going to win the division? Like, that's a 
that's a crazy thing to think, and that's just a testament to the NL East and how these teams have had to build around. And I think you can thank the Braves for that, for kind of running this ship for the past, uh, you know, however many years. I mean, we've won it four years in a row, obviously. We're going for five now. So it's crazy to think about, but, yeah, for sure, just like you said, you've got two World Series contenders and genuine World Series contenders. Like, these teams can stack up with anybody and make a run. No, I believe it for sure. Uh, I think that I think that's good enough on the uh, NL East talk. What you think, Keith? You think, you think that's enough? Yeah, man, I agree. I, I think um, I think we covered just about everything. I mean, NL East right now, it's kind of a it's a it's a two man race, and uh, we definitely dove in there and covered it. Yeah, and this is something we could hop back on every single time we hop on. Just give a little brief little update on what's going on around the NL East. I think we're three and a half games back. Hopefully today, if scores stand still, uh, we'll be two and a half games back, which is gonna be really nice. You know, get us a little bit closer in the race. Uh. Next up, we got a little SEC team rankings. Kenny. Let's go. Let's get you, sir. I'm going to let you jump on in it. We got the thing up. Everything's good to go. So, you know, where do you want to start? Start wherever you want to. All right, man. Look, I'm pumped that we get to dive into some college football. It's starting to get that time of year. It's it's obviously hot as you know what out here in Georgia right now. So we don't really have that chill in the air that we're ready for. But boy, are we ready. I'm ready to fire up, put put on the sweatpants, put on the jeans and boots, throw my hoodie on and go outside, you know, drink a couple cold beers and watch a watch a watch the dogs go out there and route South Carolina like we always do. Real um, quick, real quick. Uh what's what's your preferred beer? Let's get a preferred beer going. No, I mean I'm I'm a Miller Lite guy. Um, but you know, preferred beer, it's in my tier list, number one, Miller Lite, number two, the next beer in the cooler. Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. We're on the same page. Miller Lite's the way to go. I'll let, I'll, let you, I'll let you get back to the legit podcast stuff. Go ahead. Oh, man. I mean, I, you, I, I'm super pumped. This is the first time on the podcast we're diving into some college ball, and uh, you can definitely expect to see a lot more of this, especially as we get closer. I mean, you got the NFL season coming up. I mean, in my opinion, football season starts as soon as the Hall of Fame, ga- Hall of Fame game kicks off. So that's, uh, that's in two days, and, and uh, man, I am pumped. So let's dive into this, man. The SEC, um, you've kind of seen the the hierarchy of the SEC change in recent years, I would say, um, in my opinion, from Bama running things individually for so, so long and, and UGA. I saw a stat the other day that said um, from 2009 to 2015, I want to say, UGA had an average of like 9.1 wins per season, calculating, you know, prorating that. With the COVID year, or, or not the COVID year, but uh, pro, prorating that with bowl wins, and then from 15 to now, it's like 11 and a half. So you're talking about a team that's in here contending with Bama year after year. I know we're two separate sides of the SEC, and the East is, uh, you know, sadly much, much weaker than the West, and, and it looks like it's probably going to be that way for at least a couple more years. you got some teams that are on the uptrend, so I'm super excited to dive into this and talk about what, we, what we're what we expecting um, SEC-wise. So I'll kick it off. You see my rankings up there on the board on the graphic. Um, SEC East, um, interesting year. You've got a couple teams that made made a couple moves in the offseason, brought in a couple transfers. Um, you, you've got some recruiting classes that are, that are that are really starting to step in from years past that are, you were going to get some serious playing time. Obviously, you know we're dogs fans, and uh, whether or not you're a dog fan, I think you are going to agree that um, on pretty much everybody's list, if you're going power rankings, uh, the dogs are going to be your number one. Um, especially in the East, man, like I said, it's a little bit weaker. So, um, you know, we can hit on that a little bit and talk about what we've got, but we're returning a lot of players. You know, we lose a couple guys to the draft, but we're bringing back, you know, first round, first round draft prospects this year on both sides of the ball. You're talking about uh, bringing a quarterback back, 
back in Stetson Bennett, who um, is super disrespected. I mean, people have been crapping on Stetson for for however long, and and it's 100% without merit. You talk about a guy that's fourth in air yards last year, second in yards per completion. Um, Stetson is experienced. He knows the offense just about as well as anybody else. Uh, I think, you know, going into this season, he's going to be 28 years old. So he's uh, got a little bit of experience. Um, no, man, I, the, the dogs are the clear number one for me. So uh, we can, we'll dive into that later. Um, but number two, I've got Kentucky on my power rankings. Um, this might be a little bit of a, of a hot take, uh, depending on what your views on the SEC East are, but they're bringing it back. They're bringing back a, in, in a lot of people's opinions, a, a top five quarterback in, in this upcoming uh, year in all of college football, not just the SEC and Will Levis. Dude's a stud. Um, they've got a great running game. They've got Chris Rodriguez. I'm not too sure what his status is. He's a hometown guy. I know he got into a little bit of a trouble. I want to say a DUI charge back in May or June. Um, so they were talking a little bit about him missing some time, you know, suspension, not getting suspended. I'm not sure. We'll have to keep you updated on that and kind of see. but. Um, they lost a lot of guys, you know, specifically the offensive line. Um, you know, Kentucky's a team that has been on the rise here as of late. Um, and we play them last year. We play them every single year, so we get to see them and, and get super familiar with them. I mean, a guy like Will Levis, even when they're getting routed by Georgia and that Georgia defense, you talk about, you know, arguably the greatest college you know, football de- defense, at least in, in recent years, um, to my knowledge and, and to a lot of people. Um, I mean, this dude's stepping up in the pocket. He's delivering throws on time. He's making crazy plays. He's got to be a guy. So um, I've got Kentucky at number two pretty much strictly because of him. I think when you have a quarterback like that, he can keep you in a lot of games. Um, at number three, I've got South Carolina. Um, I'm not super high on South Carolina for one reason in particular, and that is Spencer Rattler. Um, you talk about a guy that was projected to be the number one quarterback in college football last year. You know, we can dive into Spencer Rattler as much as you want to. He's a uh, he, I'm not super high on him for for one reason in particular, and it's that Oklahoma situation, man. I mean, Oklahoma is known to be the most quarterback friendly program, at least in the Lincoln Riley area, in probably college football history. You're talking about producing Heisman candidates year after year, and I know you've got some studs in there like Baker and Kyler, and then you bring Jalen Hurts in, and he goes off, but. To see a guy like Spencer Rattler and as highly touted as he is and as much as people are talking about him and, and, and banging that drum come in there and struggle and get benched, that just goes to show that I'm not sure this guy really has got a hold on his game from a team perspective. You talk about the arm talent. He's got the arm talent. He's got a cannon attached to that shoulder. He can make every throw. He makes these crazy hot passes, Patrick Mahomes-esque throws but when you step into that game and you're really getting down to the x's and nose man it's uh he he's got a little bit of a fall off for me so that's why i've got them there in the number three spot and, and it's a little bit of a date of a debate between them and tennessee the only reason i've got tennessee right here in my number four behind south carolina is because tennessee is tennessee this goes back to how we were just talking about the mitts um tennessee seems to to get hype every single year you've got players or not players but fans coming out of you know this year saying we're going to win 10 games we're going to win 10 games here's the deal man they're not going to win 10 games i think they're over under set at seven and a half and i think that's about right um you you get eight wins this year you're going to be happy as a tennessee fan um i don't think we're going to see any kind of competition from tennessee pushing up to the top there so that's the reason i've got them at four hendon hooker he's a stud but um missouri i've got them at the five spot i've got them there because they had a they had a tremendous recruiting class come in. They've got some guys that, that are going to ball. Um, 
Number six, I've got Florida. The only reason I have Florida at six and not seven is because Vandy's at seven. Um, Vandy is Vandy, and um, you know, this is a team. Man, it, it's hopeless. It's it's sad to see. Um, they're talking about restructuring the SEC, and either way you look at it, man, they're going to be just screwed. Um, you cut that. You can cut that slice of pie any way you want to go, and and Vandy's just going to get the short end of the stick as far as the conference goes. So, what do you think about those SEC East rankings, Jake? Man, I I, I like the SEC East rankings. I I'm I'm a fan of what you said about Vandy because I'm sitting here thinking. Whenever it gets to my turn to talk about the SEC East, what am I going to say about Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt is still the worst recruiting class in the SEC. They're not like Vanderbilt will only win their cupcake games this year, and if that that's if they win that, like I think, what are we talking about? We have that we have that big week zero game against Hawaii, like first first SEC game of the year. We get to see Vanderbilt versus Hawaii in Hawaii at 10, 10 something Eastern, like. Nobody's excited about Vanderbilt. I can agree with you. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more into it, but uh, I my list, you know, I don't want to reveal my list too much unless you want to go back and forth. You want to go back and forth and like you do the East, I do the East, you do the West, I do the West? Yeah, let's go with that. And real quick before we jump on it, I will say Vandy, they've got a couple cupcake games like you just said. You see a, you know, a Hawaii Week Zero game. I think that's definitely a winnable game for them. You seven and a half Eli. point spread, I believe. Seven and a half point spread. Yeah, seven and a half point spread. We'll be on that for sure. Um, Elon, September third. That's a winnable game. Northern Illinois, September seventeenth. You see, you you could potentially see a win there. But aside from that, man, uh, as far as out of conference goes, the other, the only other game they've got on their schedule is Wake Forest, and that they might lose by twenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I think Vanderbilt's in for a bad season this year, like always. Uh, Missouri, Missouri is a team I'm actually interested in because uh, they actually recruited pretty decently six in the SEC. Uh, you know, Missouri still has a way to go. I think I think they still have a, a pretty long way to go, but they're they're interesting at least. Uh, let me go ahead and get in my rankings. Let's let's go ahead and pop my thing up on the screen. Yeah, I'm into it. All right, so we got me. All right, number one, we haven't talked about the dogs. The dogs are definitely the number one team in the SEC East. There's not a question. There's not a team that's going to compete with the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC East this year. Georgia have has lost what? We lost nine defensive starters or something stupid. But what yeah, but, what, what people don't realize is Georgia. If you look at our recruiting rankings, our recruiting rankings are super high every year, and most of the recruits are defense. Like, we have guys like Malachi Starks coming in. We have guys like Jalen Carter sticking around. Keely Ringo is going to be back for another year, and he's going to be the number one cornerback drafted in next year's NFL draft. There's not a question about it. Our safety group, Tyke Smith and Chris Smith, are rated as maybe the best in college football. So, Georgia, I'm not too worried about us. You don't spoke on Stetson. Stetson's a guy. I knew Stetson was a guy. This this is my Stetson moment right here, and Al- the S- the national championship. Whenever they had that little thing, they called a fumble. Stetson went to go throw the ball. He knocked it out late. Alabama recovered it like our twenty, kicked a field goal, and Stetson came out that that next drive and drove down Alabama's defense in like four plays. Threw that dime to Ad Mitchell, one of the greatest plays in Georgia football history to me. It was it was electric, man. Stetson Stetson is that guy. Not to mention the running back room. Um. Dijon Edwards. Dijon Edwards is a guy that I feel like a lot of people haven't talked about much because he was kind of the garbage time running back last year. But that he's he's a legit running back. You throw him in with with uh, Kenny Mack and Milton and all those guys. I mean, there's so much talent. And we also had that big recruit this year. Uh, name is slipping my thought. A uh, big running back recruit. Mm. Uh, I'll think about it later. And then you look at the wide receiver group. I mean, Ad Mitchell, Lad McConkey. Uh, not to mention Arik Gilbert, uh, Big O, or 
And then uh, Brock Bowers, the man. Brock Bowers is the best pass catcher in college football. So Georgia is locked in at the one spot. I think everybody that watches college football will tell you the same thing. This is where yeah, we get a little bit. No doubt. This is this is where we get a little bit different right here, Kenny. I actually have Tennessee as number two. I think Tennessee comes out and wins nine games. I'm going to say Tennessee wins nine games this year. I think Tennessee yeah. loses to Alabama. I think Tennessee loses to Georgia. You look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, the out-of-conference games, you have Ball State, Pittsburgh, Akron, UT Martin, and that that's it. I mean, I, they Pittsburgh might give them a little bit of problems. You know, Pittsburgh's bringing back – they're bringing in Keaton Slovis. They lost Kenny Pickett, but they got Slovis from, uh, I want to say, USC. So, I mean – they, they're out of conference isn't that tough. They play Bama. They play LSU. So they got a couple games. But the way that they ran their offense last year against Georgia to start the game, I honestly feel that if they would have stuck with that game plan, they could have gave us some trouble. I mean, their first drive last year against Georgia, they drove down the field so fast. I was a little bit nervous for about five minutes there. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Hendon Hooker, Hendon Hooker to me, we're going to have a quarterback rank come out soon. And <laughs> Hendon Hooker for me is ranked fairly highly on that quarterback rating. I think that Hendon Hooker could come out this year. And, I mean, he could impress a lot of people when, like, when, for, when it comes to his draft stock. I know. I agree with you on that. I think the only thing that turns me off about Tennessee as far as the explosiveness of that offense is that they live, they live by – big plays and in college football in particular that's just not it you know the sec specifically that's not something that a lot of teams can rely on you look at a at a program like mississippi state and what they've done bringing in that air raid offense they're throwing the ball 70 times a game you know a team like tennessee they're going to give you some scary drives some big plays some chunk plays are going to demoralize you from that standpoint but also they're going to go three and out in 30 seconds and give you the ball back and that defense is going to be gassed and then they're going to get absolutely ran down their throat by whoever they're playing when you see the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Kentuckys of the of the conference. And um, I think that's where it gets a little hairy for them. But, look, I don't hate, I don't hate it. I, I think it's possible for them to win nine games. I had them at eight. So, um, no, I, I don't think that's a bad take at all. And I think the conversation we had before the podcast, talking about how close the two, the two through four teams are for both of us, because I know we have them like the same. It's just in a little bit different order. I feel like a team like Tennessee, Kentucky, or South Carolina could honestly come out and surprise a lot of people and be second place in the SEC East. I mean, so that, that brings me to my conversation for Kentucky. Kentucky, my number three. My main reason I have Kentucky number three, I mean, they have they have old, uh, old Stoops as their head coach. You know, they always manage to somehow quietly win eight games nine games and be second in the east somehow and nobody pays any attention to him um like you like you were talking about will levis is a legit nfl quarterback i think will levis by himself could carry a team in this conference to you know a solid positive positive record season and we we're talking about chris rodriguez man chris rodriguez might be the best running back in the sec yeah, dude, he, he's he's up there for sure. The only thing that's got me questioning that is his uh, eligibility from 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 that standpoint. I I'm not sure, and I don't want to I don't want to misspeak and, and and speak out of out, out of a uh, you know out of my butt here and talk about you know his situation because I'm I'm just not sure. Um, I know he got into a little bit of a trouble a little bit of trouble with the law. He, you know he's he's I think it was a DUI case. I want to say from back in May or June. So. They were talking about him, whether he's going to be in there for the full season, partial, or, or what his situation is. But I think you bring a guy like that in on day one, um, and he plays a full season. Yeah, he's he's up there um, for for an all SEC type season. 
Oh yeah, and uh, the one my one fear about Kentucky this year. Uh, Kentucky lost Wandell Robinson this year to the draft, and Wandell Robinson he put up thirteen hundred yards. He was he was like their number one guy last year. He was he was a big playmaker for Kentucky. So if they can replace that guy, I mean I think I think Kentucky can definitely make a push for that two spot in the SEC East. But I have him at three right now. Um, so number four, we're going with South Carolina. South Carolina is my biggest wild card team. I'm a huge fan. I think me and you both are a huge fan of Beamer. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Beamer, Beamer is electric. Like, <laughs> you, I love to watch his press conference. He's he's awesome. I know what he's doing in South Carolina. He's he's trying to get him on the come up. And we talk about Spencer Rattler, man. The hype comes from somewhere. The guy has talent. I mean, last year was a little bit down at, at Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's always a high powered offense. And even two years ago, when he put up like twenty seven touchdowns, three thousand yards, eleven interceptions, something like that. Like that's not stellar numbers at a school like Oklahoma. You see these quarterbacks at Oklahoma putting up fifty touchdown seasons like every single year. That's the reason they had Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts all. <laughs> go in the first round or i think Jalen might have won a little bit later but kyler and baker were back-to-back first overall picks right like am i am i wrong on that you're absolutely right i mean they're just known for producing these stud quarterbacks and and you see i mean kyler just got paid baker's down there in carolina right now you know trying to earn a starting job looks like he's probably got a handle on that so i mean whether you know you can look at it either way you want to but as far as Oklahoma from a quarterback standpoint, these dudes are producing at a college level and they've been doing it consistently. So that was my question mark with them is, is Spencer Rattler going to be able to be that guy? And I think that that's a Beamer. That's going to be a Beamer job, man. If there's anybody that can reel him in and kind of get him dialed in on a team aspect and, and bringing success to a program instead of from an individual aspect, it doesn't matter what kind of arm you have or what kind of intangibles you or or, or tangibles you have, I should say. Um, you, you bring a guy like that in who is a stud athlete and has got the ability to make throws all over the field you just got to reel them in you got to hone them in you got to give them a set job and if he can play within the system then South Carolina is definitely going to be a scary team I'm just not too sure he's able to do that but you know they might prove me wrong yeah they'll get their fair share wins I'm sure they'll sit around seven eight wins it wouldn't surprise me you know they went they made their first bowl game last year in three years Beamer got them there so you know they have talent though they're they're on their up-and-coming team but still, they have a long way to go to catch a team like Georgia. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so that takes me to my next team, Missouri. Uh, Missouri's not really a team I have too much to talk about. Uh, I know their defense is actually pretty decent. They have they have a pretty tough defense, but I know their schedule is also pretty tough. Uh, so Missouri, you know, they're, they're kind of a hard team to look at. Their recruiting class, as we mentioned whenever you were talking, uh, their recruiting class is pretty decent. And I like I said, I just don't have much to say about them. It's, it's not really a team that you know, wows me on paper. We know the SEC East is weak, and to me, these bottom three teams aren't going to surprise anybody. Yeah, I think that's kind of the point of having Missouri there for both of us. Um, you know, we both have Missouri at five, and our six and seven were unanimous across the board. And the reason I have Missouri at five is because of who's at six and seven. So that's that's kind of the only insight I can really give you. That is true. Now we're going to go to, uh, we're going to drop to six uh, with Future first-round pick quarterback Anthony Richardson, with all he's proven in his in his college football career, AK going out going out against Georgia's defense and just putting up a stinker after all the Florida fans are trying to tell us, "Oh, this is the guy. Emory Jones can't do nothing. Anthony AR fifteen about to save the day. First guy to wear fifteen since Tebow, I think. Like this is <laughs> this guy right here. Now I I don't want to bite my tongue and he comes out and has a crazy year, but I'm I'm just not I'm not on the Anthony Richardson train. Billy Napier, you know they got Louisiana's guy. Uh. Again, I don't know how he's gonna fare over here in the big boy conference. We'll 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 see about Florida what they can do. Yeah, dude. I mean, it, you talk about giving the the 
the mantle of that number 15 jersey to somebody. And I think they did a good job in giving it to the next Tom Brady. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The guy that replaced uh, Emory Jones after all the Florida fans hated him. Oh, update. As let me I'm I'm gonna look this up real quick. Emory Jones. What what whatever happened to him? Didn't he didn't he transfer? Was that it was that a thing? I believe so. Arizona State. Arizona State. Emory Jones is now at Arizona State. I'm sure he'll get some good numbers there. As as you know, and we've discussed before in, in, in the past, I'm I'm not a huge Emory Jones hater, so like I I've actually a I, I hate to say it because I'm going to get absolutely roasted if, if the wrong person hears this, but I actually like Emory Jones a little bit. Like I, I he played pretty rough, but I was never a big fan of like most of those Florida teams after after Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask got out of there. I don't think that they've really put together such a great team. No, and, and Emory Jones, man, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm not a fan. I know you're not a fan. We can disagree on that one, but, you know, if he does well, you know, I'd love to see him prove me wrong. I think Emory Jones is a good guy, and he's not he's not somebody I'm ever going to root against. Georgia boy, Georgia boy, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he's a Georgia boy. He was put in a bad spot there out there in Gainesville, and, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, Florida, Florida had that season. They had that wonderful, like, amazing season where they finally what they finally beat georgia in the sec east with kyle trask and kyle pitts and uh wide receiver Kadarius tony and then they lost all those guys the same like year and they just haven't been back since which is expected they lose all their offensive firepower and to be honest their recruiting is awful like it, florida's recruiting is i want to say it's like florida's okay it's not terrible actually they, they've heated up no five stars but they're, they're right behind missouri so i mean they're they're up there but still a team like florida that caliber you expect them to be a little bit higher in that aspect well you gotta you gotta think a team like that's got to compete with the in-state recruits i mean you're, you're splitting recruits with with miami florida state um that is I mean, true shoot even central florida i think central florida just signed a five star that was that was considering going to florida i think florida was this crystal ball and dude dude committed to ucf so that came out of the blue so uh, you love to see that as a georgia fan yeah and i think it's gonna be a struggle here to come you got crystal ball down there at miami and it seems like miami is kind of one of those up-and-coming teams jumping up the recruiting ranks every year so you know florida might be in it for a tough time here soon that brings me to vanderbilt uh what do i say about vanderbilt kenny uh <laughs> i feel like you discussed everything we can to say about vanderbilt Vanderbilt's just so bottom tier. We discussed it already. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna bully Vanderbilt fans if there are any out there. I'm not gonna bully you guys too much. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Vanderbilt is definitely going to be the bottom team in this conference. Yeah, to say something positive about Vanderbilt. Nashville's a great city. Period. That is it. <laughs> All right, Kitty. You want you want you want to go ahead and jump in that the the SEC West. I'll I'll let you get back on it. Yeah, let's dive into the West. We're not going to jump into some some pretty heavy, you know, analysis of these teams for a lack of time and not wanting to to give you guys a five hour podcast. But um, yeah. <laughs> as far as the, as far as the SEC West goes, I mean, you got Bama at one. Obviously, um, you know, we're going to dive into some schedule predictions and talk about what we think as far as the SEC going into the playoff and 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 kind of analyzing what we think as far as uh, you know postseason and and teams that have a shot to win a natty and. Um, I mean, Bama's definitely the favorite across the board. Doesn't matter who you ask. Even as a dog fan, you know they're bringing back pretty much the entire team. You got the Heisman, the Heisman winner back there playing quarterback. Um, you know, so it's a it it it's unanimous. Bama's at number one. Uh, my list really starts at two. 
Um, I've got A&M at two. Uh, the reason I've got A&M at two is, is for a couple reasons. Um, they've got a wild card at quarterback is what I'm a little bit, um, I don't want to say questionable on, but, you know, a little bit, uh, it, it's, it's, non, it's not proven. You know, we're, we're not sure what we're going to see. You got a guy like Haynes King who is, a, you know, a, a crazy athlete. He's, I think he's the number five dual threat quarterback in the country, the 2020 class. Earned the starting job in his redshirt freshman year at A&M. Uh, broke his leg. In the second game of the year, um, I want to say it was either the first or the second game, but, but he definitely started the first game, broke his legs out the year. They had Calzada come in there. He's obviously down at Auburn now. So, um, I mean, looking at the depth chart, they bring a guy in like Max Johnson from LSU who had, honestly, you're talking about a guy that, that threw for 2,800 yards, 27 tuds, and six picks at LSU last year. Um, a lot of people had him etched in as the starter day one at A&M, but I'm hearing a lot of Haynes King stuff. I, I'm seeing that Haynes King is projected to be the starter, so um, I can't really dive into it too much because we don't really know much about him. But um, I've got a and M right there at that number two spot just because they, they do have an insane recruiting class, especially with all the NL the NIL stuff coming in. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's down there. He's you know obviously you know one of the best college coaches of uh, you know recent years and. Um, that's why I've got them at two. Um, number three, I've got Arkansas. I've got Arkansas there because, um, you know, Sam Pittman, a stud, a UGA legend, you know, love the guy. Oh, yeah. Um, KJ, KJ Jefferson, um, he's not a, he's another guy that I'm not super high on. He is a freak athlete. I'm not sure what his game's going to look like carrying, you know, moving forward, carrying on into this season. But he's a guy that had 2,700 yards, uh, over 20 touchdowns, I want to say, and, and it didn't really throw a lot of picks. He's also a crazy threat on the ground. I mean, you talk about a guy that – that rushed upwards of 700 yards last year. So he's a dual threat. He's a big dude. He, he looks like, dang, George Kittle out there playing quarterback. So um, you, you put a guy like that in college football, and they can really give you fits no matter where you're playing. So I've got Arkansas there because of that. Um, at number four, I've got Ole Miss. Ole Miss, their projected starting quarterbacks, uh, Jackson Dart, I believe. People are really high on him coming into the season. Uh, we'll do a breakdown of uh, PFF's uh Quarterback rankings, uh, you know, intra-conference throughout the entire college uh, frame, uh, you know, coming up on a, on a podcast here in the near future, I'm sure. But Jackson Dart was up there, um, so I, I'm I'm optimistic about him. I think he's a good player. They they've got a, a good squad. Um, you know, the coaching their their coaching staff is really good. You know, I really like I really like Lane. Um, he's a he, he's a top tier guy, I think. Um, so I've got them before because of that. Um, LSU at five for me, and the reason I've got them at five is uh, kind of back to the SEC East standpoint of who's at six and seven. Um, I think LSU's got a solid roster. Uh, I believe their starter is going to be Miles Brennan, who is a uh, you know he's he's an experienced guy. He he's a good quarterback. He's a guy that's going to you know lead you to some wins. I don't know what their win total is. I want to say it's six and a half or seven and a half. Uh, I think they're going to float somewhere around there. Uh, you know, they've got some cupcake games, of course, and then you get into Last year, LSU fought with Bama, you know, almost came out with a win. So I think they're a team where it's any given Saturday, they can go out there and make a run at somebody. That's the reason I've got them at five. Um, I've got Mississippi State at six. The only reason I've got them at six is because I have Auburn at seven. Um, Calzada, starting quarterback at Auburn, uh, he's the only bright spot of that team, in my opinion. I think he's a good player. I think he's a dog. Um, I think he's going to come out there and, and really give you some some good production from a quarterback standpoint, but they just don't really have anything for him to work with. Uh, and then Mississippi State at six, right you know, just above him. Um, a lot of people are high on that Mississippi State quarterback, um, and I think, if I'm being honest, uh, it, it's a hard um, – 
it's a hard team to judge from a production standpoint because of the volume. Uh, you put a quarterback out there that's throwing the ball 65, 70 times a game in that air raid offense, and he's going to have some crazy numbers. So Will Rogers, I think he's a good player. Um, I really do, but I'm not really sure how to grade him with how that offense plays. And it's just not a sustainable offense, especially in SEC play. So that's the reason I've got them there at 6-7, and seven, and that, that wraps up the West for me. All right, cool, cool. Uh, I feel like that we, again, we got pretty similar. I'll go ahead and flip them on. Um, uh, we do have one one difference. Uh, our LSU-Mississippi State is is a little bit different, and I, I had a similar thought, but I'll go ahead and break it down with Bama. Bama is, to me, they're they're similar to Georgia. They have a little bit more talent pushing them. Like, they have a little bit more talented teams behind them that are going to kind of push them a little bit, I feel like. Like, a team like an A&M in Arkansas, but even those teams just have so many question marks. Alabama, man. They bring back Bryce Young. Bryce Young is the best quarterback in the SEC. There's no doubt about it. They brought in Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech. Everybody's really high on him. I don't know much about him, even though this is a Georgia podcast. I don't know much about. I know he was like the the biggest recruit. So I mean, he's he's out there. Uh, I know the wide receiver room's a little bit slack, and I think that was the biggest thing I noticed last year in the national championship. We saw those guys go down, and we didn't see the normal Alabama guys step back up. Slade Bolden's gone. They lost Jamison Williams and Jerry Judy. They're all gone. So. They lost Billingsley. Billingsley entered the transfer portal. So really, the only guy they have is Latu. Latu, the tight end, they're returning. And then, you know, I'm sure they have Alabama fans will come at me. Oh, we got this guy right here. He was a four-star two, three years ago, and he's going to be the next big guy. Uh, we'll see it. So, and not, and Also, um, not to cut you off, but uh, and I know it's kind of a sin around these parts to talk about it, but they did get Jermaine Burton. They did get Jermaine Burton. That is that is a fact. You almost I almost forgot about that until you remind me. Jermaine Burton is a good player. I'm excited to see him play with Bryce Young. I'm I'm high on Jermaine Burton, but I I'm not gonna say he's in the same conversation as a guy like Jameson Williams. No, not at all. Alright, so that drops you down to number two. Texas AM. Texas AM to me is number two. They keep on putting in these crazy recruiting classes year after year. We know all the NIL stuff with Jimbo, but to be honest, just get over it. Like get over it jimbo jimbo does what he does down there he's in texas come on texas is one of the biggest states when it comes to high school football and recruiting so he's, he's gonna rack in recruits no matter what happens uh we talked about the quarterback battle a little bit we got haynes king and max johnson i'm just gonna give a little preview and if stuff changes i'll change my list but whenever we do the quarterback rankings a little bit later on in a different podcast down the road i do have haynes king as my texas a&m quarterback and like I said, I as well. we'll probably save that stuff for a little bit closer to the season. And like these rankings, I did want to mention this before we get started. These rankings are kind of like a little bit vague because this is before we've really went to like a super deep schedule breakdown and all that fun stuff. Like this is just something we kind of threw together just to get college football rolling a little bit. And I'm sure we might talk about this. I'm sure we'll talk about this plenty of times before the season starts. It's just something we got to get got put together. Um, but yeah, man, this is this is strictly face value. This is just the face value, just so you get our initial thoughts. Going into the going to the season a little bit beforehand. Uh, but yeah, Texas A&M man, they're gonna win games. Texas A&M is gonna win nine or ten games to me. I don't see many teams competing. I know Arkansas. Some people are putting Arkansas at two. That's Arkansas to me. We talked about it with KJ Jefferson. KJ Jefferson, I'm a big fan. I I like KJ Jefferson. I think he is a dynamic college football quarterback. I don't know about his pro rankings per se. I don't, I, I don't know how you put in the pros. We talked about Sam Pittman. He's a he came from a winner with Kirby. So. You know, I think I think Arkansas could do something similar to they did last year and have have pretty surprising success. Yeah, I agree. Um, that brings us to Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a very interesting team to me. Ole Miss is another one of those wild card teams because 
They lost their quarterback. They did lose Matt Matt Corral to the draft. Matt Corral was an absolute stud at Ole Miss. But I feel like Jackson Dart, former USC quarterback, could come in and be an absolute stud with Lane Kiffin. Like Jackson Start Jackson Dart is a guy that I've seen like I've seen some pretty high hopes for. So I'm I he's a guy that I've I've enjoyed watching. So I'm I'm kind of rooting for him. They also got Zach Evans from TCU. I know he was a big guy whenever it came to coming to Georgia when he was coming out as a five star in high school. But he had that problems where he got like kicked off his football team and stuff, but he has talent. I think I think Ole Miss is going to be a solid team. I don't see them doing like a crazy amount of damage, but they wouldn't they wouldn't surprise me if they made a push to be in front of Arkansas. No, and, and I agree. The Jackson Dart thing is a little bit of a wild card from a standpoint. If he does have some some limited some limited uh, limited game time, um, but you're talking about a guy with a 132 passer rating. I mean this this dude is is shown that he's a baller. He is a dog. He knows ball. Um, all the all the things you want to throw in there and talk about him. Uh, so I think uh, you know, it's hard to replace a guy like Matt Corral. Um, so uh, Jackson Dart, he's probably the closest thing you can get to it from that standpoint. And Lane Kiffin, he's a stud. He's gonna he's gonna get the boys ready to go out there and play on Saturdays. Yeah, Lane Lane is definitely a monster. Again, we're talking about guys that come under under save, and I know a lot of them haven't had like crazy like haven't had like you know haven't beat him in the championships until Kirby and all that stuff. So. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, but he's one of those guys, man. Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin's a great coach. So that brings me to Mississippi State. So Mississippi State, I have them ranked above LSU. I know you had LSU ranked at five, but I'm kind of in a similar situation. Uh, I just feel like Mike Leach's air raid offense is just going to make them outplay a team like LSU and Auburn. I just feel like them having Will Rogers, they brought back Jaden Wally, who was their number one wide receiver last year. I mean, I, I just don't see them being much different. They played some really good football last year. Yeah, no, for sure. That offense is it's so crazy because it's something that you can't really prepare for. I mean, you you talk about scout team, which is huge in college football, where you're trying to mimic players and mimic game plans and mimic game styles, and that's such a hard one to to prepare for in practice. I mean, you got a guy like Will Rogers who is a very talented football player, a very talented quarterback, and then you just put him on that offense where they sling the ball all over the place. They don't run the ball hardly at all, and when they do, it's just to set up the play action to throw it 60 yards down the field. So they're another team where – they they can really kind of uh you know step in there and catch you off guard and rack up 42 on you in a hurry and, and kind of you know leave you in the dust. So if you're not careful with Mississippi State, uh, that's a good point. They'll they'll definitely uh you know dust you and, and run off on you real quick. Yeah, that is a major fact. So that brings me to LSU. Now we're now we're at LSU. We got uh we got the guy Brian Kelly little, with his fake Southern accent doing dancing out there with recruits, getting guys to change their recruitment after he done dance with them on a little stage with a camera going around in circles. He made some pretty funny memes memes in the offseason. And family. And family. Brian Kelly coming from Notre Dame. So I I like Brian Kelly, honestly. He was the, the stuff he was doing was kind of a clown, but I, I, I do think he's a good coach. Uh oh, yeah. I just I I just don't see LSU doing too much. LSU did have a decent recruiting class this year. Uh LSU finished fourth in the SEC in recruiting right behind Georgia. I mean, I'm not going to say right behind Georgia because it wasn't really close. Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia were way up there in the top three. But still, I mean, they they were the they were the first team out of those top three. So they're they're up there, but I don't see too much going on with that team this year. Um, now we're going to talk about Auburn. Auburn is the most lost team in the SEC. One of the most lost. I mean, I'm not going to put it like them with Vanderbilt, but out of the big name teams that you expect to be good. Auburn is just so lost right now. Auburn is a mess, and I really don't have much to say about them because they're just so unknown. Like, 
What is going on there? Is is that is is their quarterback still Finley? Is that the situation they're running into? Uh, they got Calzada. Calzada, that's right. They did get Calzada from AM. I would I would love to see that. I need to keep track of that for the quarterback rankings because I did not have him as, as my quarterback in SEC. Yeah, they're tough because they really only have you know any any way you look at it, they've got two bright spots on the team, and it's your quarterback and your running back. You got Calzada and Tank Bigsby, and um, you know Tank is a stud. He's a guy that's going to come out there and really give you some positive gameplay and. I mean, he's he's a beast. He's a guy you've got a game plan against, and um, he's a, he's a game changer for sure. And I think um, could be a stud in in the league as well moving forward. Um, Calzada's a little bit of a wild card. He had a good year at A and M. Um, it was a weird situation with him coming in after Haynes earned the job and then broke his leg. So um, aside from those two guys, I'm with you, dog. I mean, I really don't know where you're optimistic. You know, as far as this depth chart goes, it does not look good. All I know is you never let Zach Zach Calzada go to the medical tent and get whatever type of cortisone shot or whatever the hell they gave him in that medical tent against Alabama because he came out after that and was slinging the football. <laughs> that Aaron Rodgers treatment, the dude comes out there and plays like damn Marina. It was insane. It was insane. Well, that was that was a pretty fun segment, Kenny. I I, I really enjoyed that. And like we said, we're gonna dive we're gonna dive a lot deeper into college football as we get closer to the season. This is just some you know a little prep, get a little ready for it. We're just a couple weeks away. What about three weeks? Three and a half weeks away till we get to see Vanderbilt play Hawaii at ten thirty. Dude, it's getting close, and, and you know we're we're in a, a point right now to where the world has kind of been the sports world has kind of been revolving around this MLB trade deadline. So we've been hitting on that so much um, through these first two podcasts that you guys are seeing and hearing. So we're kind of getting to a point now to where things have cooled off from that standpoint. So you know we're going to talk ball, we're going to talk baseball, we're going to talk football, and I'm excited, uh, really, really excited to dive into college ball this year and and really get some good breakdowns of what we can expect um, specifically uh with the dogs and and we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll do a full roster breakdown here coming up pretty soon and really you know kind of give you guys our two cents of what we think you can expect and and what to to see out there on saturdays as far as that georgia that georgia club goes and we'll also try to limit the hour and 30 minute uh youtube stream and podcast that's probably that that might be a start we just had so much stuff on the schedule to talk about and after getting done with the deadline i looked at the timer and i was like man we've already been talking for 50 minutes <laughs> and we start to re- we start to go over the whole sec so you know, we'll, we'll try to keep those down a little bit for you guys. I know that that's kind of a, a long thing to make it through. And if you made it this far, you know, thank you so much. We always appreciate all the support. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was it was a fun podcast, man. I enjoyed it. Absolutely, man. I want to say thank you to everybody that tuned in to our first episode. Um, it was uh, very well received. Um, oh, yeah. It, it really it surprised me. We got some really, really good feedback. And, and I'm super optimistic about this show moving forward and the content that we're that we're uh, you know actively working on getting to you guys, I'm I'm super excited for. We really enjoy doing it. Like I said in, in the first episode, this is sports, man. We eat, sleep, and breathe it. And uh, this is something that you know whether we're sitting on here with the record button going, you know, preaching to you guys, telling you about all our takes and, and what we think. This is something that we're going to talk about anyway. So we're really really excited and and looking forward to uh to doing this. You know, for 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 many episodes to come. All right, Kenny. Uh, you think you think you're ready to get this thing over with and uh. Just don't take a double check on this Phillies Braves uh, slaughter. <laughs> Man, let's 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 take a look at this thing, and uh, you know, we appreciate y'all for listening. Oh yeah, thank you so much, guys. See y'all.